shake your head the failures and the can't forgets but standing here now i'm thinking god it's behind me because i've seen nails scarred hands reach out and wipe it all away yeah now i see grace hallelujah i stand amazed i'm staring at an empty grave and the stone that you We are so excited to have you here this morning with us. Please stand and join us in singing praise to our Lord this morning. Jehovah, there's no God like Jehovah, yeah. Behold. 
was on. There we go. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Does anybody have any water standing in their backyard like mine? Yeah, I'm the only one with the drainage problem. Yeah, it's about my luck. Anyway, good to see everybody. Uh, great week. Uh, she's got some good news to share. Uh, I'll go ahead and share it now. Uh, who remembers Bill Anderson? Some of y'all kind of Bill and Lois Anderson. Loved the Lord, and Lois was a, was a good character. She was so much fun. But uh, they moved back to where they were from, uh, northern Arkansas, right on the border. They're just almost walking distance to the border of Missouri. Well, I remember, and I, I'm saying this humbly, so, so please take it in the right context. Uh, he called me yesterday. I haven't heard from him in a couple of years. And it, it came up, but I thought, no way. How's that on my phone? And Brother Todd, I said, is that you, Bill? And if you know Bill, just full of energy, loves the Lord. He said, i got to share something with you. I'm like, okay, this is good. You get excited. He said, uh, you remember my, uh, uh, my uncle? I said, Bill, I'm sorry. I don't remember your uncle. Oh, come on now, Todd, think. <laughs> I, said, I said, let's save both of us some time. Go ahead and refresh my memory. And uh, I came to think of his last name. His first name's Hayward. That was actually his first name. Can't think of his last name. I said, okay. I said, Bill, I'll take you at your word. I don't remember him. Well, I asked you to call him like about five or six years ago. <laughs> he is a pastor. You're like, okay. Yeah, this is just getting a wider spectrum. And he said, he, he didn't know the Lord. I wanted you to talk to him. I said, okay. And I did. He goes, yeah, you did. And uh, I said, so did he get saved? Because <laughs> I couldn't remember. He says, well, listen to this story. He passed away. And he's like all excited. <laughs> and I said, okay, I hate to hear that. He goes, no, no, this, this is okay. You'll like how it ends. And uh, he said when uh, he was on hospice and his wife was talking to him, and a, uh, somebody came by and was concerned about his salvation, his eternal destiny. He was dying. And he said, he goes, you know what? He looked at his wife. She said, you know what? Bill had a guy call me about five years ago. And, and why I didn't do it while I was with him on the phone, he said, I come to realize the truth of that. And it wasn't long after that. I just prayed what he prayed, and I'm trusting in what I prayed. Amen. <laughs> And so, <clears throat> I say this for respect. Brother Brad can get up here. Many of y'all can get up here and attest to sharing the gospel. Our job, one, because we don't have the power to do it, Romans 1.16, for it's the power of God unto salvation, kind of what Brother Brad was talking about this morning. But our job is just to share it. And we don't need to put stock and weight on, well, they didn't pray, or they didn't hear it, or they didn't want it. That's okay. Paul says, shake the dust off your feet, and they moved on to listen. Just keep on going. Just keep on sharing it. Keep on scattering the, sh the seed. That's not maybe all God uses you to do. Throw some seed out. God will send somebody to water it in his time when it's ready, you know, to be fertilized. But it will always be God that giveth the increase. And so I just want I know it did my heart well. I was just so humble thinking, wow. It made it felt bad I didn't remember him, but I rejoice that he remembered enough of the truth to act on it and to get saved, and now he's in glory by his testimony. Amen? Amen. So rejoice in that, and uh, if you run into Bill somehow, tell him congratulations. I don't know how you'll do that. But a couple of announcements, and I want to get something that will take a little bit of time. 
but it'll be good for us. Uh, uh, for us coming up announcements, we've got church cleaning coming up this Saturday, uh, March the 4th. And uh, gentlemen, I'd love to see y'all there as we've been discussing in our uh, journey groups. Uh, not that we're talking about cleaning the church, but that makes sense to the men. Uh, ladies, anybody, if you can be here uh, March the 4th, 9 o'clock. I know we have a couple of men that get off work very early. Their schedules, they'll come by and do some preliminary work but there's still opportunity and things to clean afterwards. So we'll be here 9 o'clock on the 4th to do so. Kit, uh, kids camp, be in prayer about that. Uh, it's around the corner, the fundraisers will be starting. Because of weather and the time, we are moving the car wash back a little bit, but uh, you'll start seeing information in the lobby and uh, on the website and on Facebook page. So parents, grandparents with children, uh, be in prayer about that. Most of all, got questions about it. Uh, get with Rhonda to let her know, you know, how you can be involved, what's required. Uh, I do know there's spots and, and uh, needs for chaperones to go. So if you're interested in being a chaperone, going with your child, that's a, a great opportunity there as well. Then our journey groups, which I touched on, they're off to a great start. I'm so excited how the Holy Spirit's working through that, both the ladies and the men. I've heard nothing but positive feedback, uh, ladies. What's taking place in there, uh, the men, I know... Uh, you're greatly being challenged and has some good comments there. I encourage you to get involved. It's not too late to get involved in the journey groups if you uh, think you're too far behind. It's a new lesson each week. It's not something you really have to build upon, so you can jump in, and uh, it'll be to your benefit. Remember, uh, prior to that at 6 o'clock, the church provides a fellowship meal, so you're invited to come, be a part of the meal, fellowship, and the journey groups start at 7. Amen? All right, here we go. I've had, uh, this has been brought to me for a couple of years, and uh, I'm not real big on technology. I'm not real big on just trying to make church foo-foo or just do it because it's cool to do. But I do know a lot of people are more visual than they are audible. And I get a lot of texts during the week, can you send me those scriptures? What, you made one statement here, and that's fine. You can call me anytime. I'd love to walk back through that. But I understand that. I'm more of a visual person. Uh, my ADD. But, uh, so I understand where it's coming from. But we think we have a solution that might help you. We have an app. It's, called, it's through Bible.com. It's a free app. You can download Bible.com to your phone. It has immense resources as far as Bible study plans, reading through the Bible, a lot of information. It has some good sermons on there. It's just a plethora of information on just bible.com well within that and there's your qr code uh, what i'm going to start doing is under events i am uploading starting with today i am uploading uh, my sermon notes and i'll have all the key notes i put in there uh, or scriptures i use here it is on my phone i know you can't see it back there it will come up which we're talking about the cost of comparison it'll come up with just all some basic notes not my not the whole sermon so on the qr code right there if you're interested you can take your phone up uh, if you need to come closer you can come up here snap a picture of the qr code once you get that that'll take you straight to bible.com uh, now you need to log in so bear with me here i know this is new information uh, so as far as wi-fi if you go to your wi-fi go to covenant guest and there's our password it's our address 6600 FM, all caps, 1570, capital W. 
So that gives you the password into our guest Wi-Fi. That doesn't interfere with our regular Wi-Fi. So once you get on Wi-Fi, you take a picture of the QR code, and we can help you with after service if you want to with it. Then you'll come up with the Bible.com app, and it'll look something like that, what's up on the screen there. And then at the bottom right-hand corner above more, that's called something. There's some fancy technology name for that. Boy, all those three little dashed lines there. If you click on what's it called? Hamburger. You cl- now see, now I'm hungry. See? For some reason, that's called a hamburger. So you click on the hamburger, and, uh, and what's going to come up, what comes up under hamburger, you'll see another box. You click on events to the right there, about halfway down under videos. You click on events, and then it's going to come up with other churches that use that. There'll be a map of our area. If you'll scroll down, you'll see Covenant Fellowship Church, Sunday, 10 a.m. You click on that, and you're going to see this right here. And then you can follow along if you're visual, and you'll see under every box, it says Add Notes. You can click on that, Add Notes, and you can put your own notes in there. And, and then at the top, you can hit Save, and it's archived forever. You can go back to it and do whatever you want to. Now, I know that's a lot of information. If you're under 35, that was real easy, and you said, I already knew that. If you're over 45, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. See? Or give your phone to one of the kids around here, and they can do it for you. Uh, probably be the best thing to do. So I went to that kind of quickly. If, uh, if you are interested, it's a one-time process. Once you do it, uh, I can help you after church, set it up every Sunday when you come in. Only thing you have to do is go to that, hit events, covenant fellowship, there's the notes for you. Amen? So I know it's a little bit of foo-foo, I understand that, but I think there's some advantages to it uh, for those that really want to take notes and want to see uh, you know, a visual presentation on the notes to keep up. So I hope that helps. I hope it wasn't too confusing. Uh, it only took me about two years to figure it out. So uh, hopefully you'll do better than me. So, But we're excited about that. Use it uh, as the Lord would direct you. So I think that's it at the time. I can't think of anything else. Uh, yes. Yes, thank you. I'm not done. <laughs> I had that on my notes here on my phone. I skipped past it. Uh, I want to take a, you know, the Bible says, let another man sing your praises, but Carla and Brad Earls had stepped up. Uh, they had done some work on the property. Their, their office building is on 34. But uh, they were paving their parking lot with some uh, quality asphalt reuse, but it, it's a lot better than normal. So as you notice a parking lot out there, God put it upon, uh, upon, you know, upon Carla and Brad's heart. They purchased the asphalt for the church. They've laid that down for us out there trying to beat the rain. But uh, he said they're working on, they're going to come and spray it. You said with some fresh oil, let that oil soak in. And when the weather gets up a little hotter consistently, they're going to roll it again. And then we'll be able to stripe that. And it'll give us a lot more, uh, uh, better coverage on our parking lot, uh, better drainage. Uh, we can only go so far because if you notice, they've already started on the work on 1570. So be prepared on that. Uh, we do get some good news out of it. Uh, taking too much time here but we have wi-fi internet which is kind of sketchy sometimes especially with weather i found out the boring they're doing up there they're putting fiber optic in front of our church so that will be a huge blessing we don't have to use wi-fi anymore we can dial do a direct connect with the uh, 
uh, fiber optics, so that will be a huge blessing for the church. So they're getting in the utilities, so probably within a month or two, we're going to see a lot of uh, destruction and construction going on out there. But if you don't know, they're moving the intersection that you pass under to where it lines up with the extension of 1570. You don't have that zigzag, which is causing the road to bend in front of our neighbor, the house over there. But they're moving the road back about six feet or the, the, uh, the right of way back six feet. Uh, we're losing, we're gonna you know, move our gate a little bit, but they're widening 1570 to four lanes in front of us. So that'll be four lanes, a new bridge, and we had to give up a little bit of our dirt, nothing real bad. So that'll be going on this year. So just be prepared, but uh, it won't interfere what God's doing, amen? All right, I am done for sure, I promise. Dan, if you'd come forward, we'll pray over our service this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings that we uh, just pass over every day, Father God, that we take for granted. I thank you, Father God, um, that we're seeing miracles right before our eyes, Father God. Um, I just ask that you uh, lead us, guide us, and direct us, Father God. Just uh, anoint Brother Todd today and open our hearts, Father God, and just cease striving today, Father God. Let us focus on you and what you have for us, uh, Father God. Uh, just thank you that, that you uh, love us and you'll never leave us or forsake us. And uh, just like Exodus, I think it's 14, 14 says, it says, be still and know know that, I'm in, that I am God, Father God. So we just thank you for that. Uh, pray, pray over this offering and uh, bless the giver. And uh, just thank you for everything you're doing in Jesus' name, amen. if you'll stand with us we're going to continue our time of worship I was sinking deep within far from the peaceful shore very deeply stayed within seeking to rise no more but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me now safe am I Lord, 
I heard that. Great to see everybody this morning. Uh, we got several visitors. Uh, glad to have you. Uh, not singling out or showing any favorites, but I did see Carol come in this morning, and uh, we're so glad to see you. Glad you're with us this morning, and and uh, she's got a friend. She does really. It's right there beside her, and uh, so she brought her to show her off. So uh, make sure you say hi and uh, long time and uh, walking. Uh, Brother Brad and Peggy, Sam and I, many of y'all walking with Carol and the Lord, so good to see her always. Uh, oftentimes, many times, we look at life with an over-educated perspective, so to speak, and we complicate sometimes the simplest of truth by doing so, and we miss what we need to miss. That's why it tells us in, uh, I think it's Psalms chapter uh, 8, I saw, that you know it talks about god talks about out of the mouth of babes out of sucklings and, and the point the reference is that in many ways uh we've heard children make the simplest of statements sometimes that just awe us they're like well that sums it up right there that was simple and what is meant by that because these children have such a simple faith that it's not persuaded influenced by fear doubt negativity they just Take what they hear. Simple faith. And that's what God calls us to. He tells us to have the faith of a child. And I've used the illustration before. There are four children, and I did it with all of them, just put them on the counter and jump. When it came to my daughter, I was real worried. The boys, being boys' competition, now it's like, well, let's see if we can set a record and see how far we can jump. <laughs> and, you know, always challenge them. I remember one time, I don't know which one of the boys it was, talking to Sam or somebody, they were up there, and I got distracted, and they just thought when I put them up there, they just jump. They had no fear of hitting the ground. They just assumed they were going to be caught, and I caught them, barely, but uh, uh, that, uh, those are the times that Sam knows of that I caught them. But, uh, but out of the mouth of babes. So here's my point. I'm going to share a little bitty story. Uh, it's an elementary story, and see if we can keep up with it us educated adults it's called the crow and the peacock there once was a crow that lived in the woods he was happy with his life and never wanted anything one day the crow though saw a dove the dove is so bright and beautiful thought the crow white snow wings softest of coo by comparison i'm so dark and dull the crow approached the dove and said you are so beautiful, you must be the happiest bird alive. The dove replied, well, I used to think I was the happiest bird alive, but one day I ran into a robin. Its chest was so vibrant and red and beautiful in color, I felt so plain, just this white, ordinary dove. I thought that, that robin must be the happiest bird alive. So the crow visited the robin. He said, I heard you're the happiest bird of life, alive because of your vibrant colors compared to the dove. And the dove said, I used to be the happiest bird alive. One day I ran into a peacock. He said, I've never seen anything like it. If you've never seen one, it's just magnificent. The size of their feathers, it even appears that they have eyes on the end of them. He said, people just flock to see the peacock. I was so in awe, I thought, without a doubt, 
that's the happiest bird alive. The crow thought, oh, I found him. So he flew to the zoo. Got to the zoo, there was the peacock, feathers all fanned out. People just lined up all around his cage, feeding him and taking pictures of him. The people left and the crow talked to the peacock. He said, I heard and I seen with my own eyes why you are without a doubt the happiest bird alive. You're just so brilliant. The peacock said, well, it's not what it looks like. He said, I'm caged up in this cage 24 seven, forced to eat the same thing every day. And I sit here every day and see the crows flying over in freedom and thought, man, what would it be like to be a crow? Now we could share that with our child and use great illustrations and make a point about telling our children, don't compare yourself with others. God created you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. But yet, we grow up, and as soon as we grow up, we stop looking up, and we start looking around trying to find doves, robins, and peacocks around us because we think they have it better off than we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. As you guide us in this truth, anoint every word that's spoken. I pray that you prepare every heart this morning for in your grace, in Christ's name, amen. If you would, stand with me this morning. Our key verse will come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we'll read this together. It says, read aloud with me, please. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with the sun that commend themselves. They measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Amen. Thank you. We really could say amen as we didn't just go home. Could we not? Don't compare yourself to those around you. The Holy Spirit speaking through Paul says it's not wise. And yet we we imprison ourselves because we get so caught up on what the people next to us have or what they're doing or what their life appears to be. You can go on the internet and there are endless stories, sad stories that will rip your heart out of people that appear to have it all, i.e. Robin Williams, i.e. Whitney Houston. Do we need to keep on going? They had it all and they did have it all. Multi, multi-millionaires beautiful homes, all the luxuries, all the amenities, everything they wanted. They had it all except their peace and joy in Jesus. Listen to this statement. It should be in the sermon notes for what it's worth. It says, comparison is a poisonous fruit of discontentment. Don't complicate this today. Comparison is a, po a po excuse me, poisonous fruit of discontentment, which admits that we are not satisfied with how God has made us, that we are not happy with where he has placed us, and that we don't appreciate the life that he has ordained for us. Comparing, now don't get your feelings hurt, or speaking of the crow, don't get your feathers ruffled. Comparing ourselves to others is a direct 
insult and sin towards God. Well, that you're, you're a little bit too poignant there, Todd. That, I, I think you took it a step too far. No. When we start comparing ourselves to others, we are blatantly telling God that he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, I know what you've ordained. I know where you place me, and I know your will, but that doesn't work. It, it, it's in this person. And if I can get my life like them, then I'll be all I want to be. Then I'll be happy. But see, there's a problem. Our culture today, especially Christians, are blinded by this word happy. Happiness. Brother Brad and I have illustrated it for years that happiness is a result of things that you manufacture that are happening around you. You win the lotto, I guarantee you, don't, don't win the lotto. You're not supposed to be playing the lotto. <laughs> if you, for those that do win the lotto, I guarantee you they will step in to a season of happiness. There ain't no doubt. <laughs> They're going to be happy. They're going to be smiling. Life's going to be different. But go again, read those stories on the Internet of those that did win the lotto and where they end up 10, 15, 20 years later, isolated from their family, broke, no friends, blah, 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 blah. But see, God's not focusing on us being happy. He's focusing on us being joyful. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not in happiness. Well, if I get enough money and get enough and get my life right, then I'll have happiness and I'll find my joy in the Lord and I'll be content. Nope. Going at it completely backwards. You're like the crow flying around trying to find who's the happiest. We're going to look at a story in the scriptures this morning. It's going to come out of 1 Samuel chapter 20. I think it's a great illustration. It deals with the life of Saul and, uh, and David, who was not really his disciple, but was under him. I guess you can say disciple to a degree. And then Saul's son, Jonathan. In these three individuals, we see a very interesting relationship develop. Now, if you have the story here, I'm going to get ahead of myself. We'll see the story in a second. Let me read 2 Samuel 20. Let me read a few verses here. Be patient because we need to lay out the context here. It says, so David hid himself. And uh, the story before this, if you, let me slow down. If you go back to chapter 18, it's already started where Saul has built this jealousy towards David. He, uh, they come in from war, and the, uh, the town is singing, playing music, instruments, and they talk about the 10,000s that David slew to Saul's 1,000. So, and, and, you know, I think, you know, Saul commits a series of sins through his life, I think eight or nine or so, uh, and this is like towards the end, sixth or seventh sin that Saul brings into his life, and it's a sin of jealousy. And jealousy only comes by way of discontentment and by comparing ourselves to others. So a little bit of context prior to this. So David hid himself in the field, knowing that Saul's now plotting to kill him. And when the new moon was come, the king sat down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat at the other times, even upon the seat of the wall. And Jonathan arose, that's his son, King Saul, and, uh, and Abner sat by Saul's side. And David's place was empty. David's not there. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something hath befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he's not clean, Saul thought. And it came to pass on the morrow 
which was the second day of the month that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked to leave me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. My brother, uh, he hath commanded me uh, uh, you know, to be there. And now if I have found favor in thy eyes, let me go thy way, and I pray thee, and I see thy brethren. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. Now here's, listen to Samuel here. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, his own son. And he said to him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman. He's calling out Jonathan, his own son, and attacking his mother. Do I not know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thy own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, there shall not be established nor the kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. So Saul got to the point that he is so angry and jealous towards David that it consumes his relationship with his own son. And Saul's kind of starting to figure it out now because we'll see here in a second if you go back to prior to verse chapter 18 that Saul, that, excuse me, that David and uh, Jonathan had built this kindredship. They're brothers in Christ. And they get so tightly bound in their fellowship and their brotherhood with each other in this kindred spirit that Jonathan, who's supposed to be the heir to Saul, the first heir to the throne of Israel, you would think, He'd be on his father's side, would he not? Is, is it not his throne forthcoming? Wouldn't he be protecting his own throne? So try not to get too far ahead of myself. He builds this relationship with David so much so that he advocates his own throne to David. Well, that's hard to do. But see, we have that problem. We look around and we see what other people have and we start thinking, well, it's not fair. Why do they have that? Why can't I have that? If they have it, I should have it. That's one of the biggest plagues on our culture today is this entitlement mentality. Most of us in here, some of us may have grandparents still alive, even those that are older, if we remember back, maybe to even just our parents if we're older, but definitely our grandparents, everything they had came by the sweat of their brow. Nothing was given to them because there's nothing to be given to them but the ability to labor. That's why God said a man that doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel, a non-believer. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. We got these guidelines that we are to labor not only in the Lord, but labor in our own well-doing. But now we got this, for some reason, we got this culture today that because parents have it, that we're supposed to get it. But it's interesting, Jonathan didn't fall prey to that. Jonathan could have said, hey, David, my dad's about to kill you. Help me. Help you. Hey, if I help you, my dad's going to get mad at me. I might lose the throne. Good luck. No, Jonathan didn't play that role. One of the most crippling aspects to a believer's faith walk is when we compare ourselves to another believer. Comparison is powerful. Oh, it's so consuming on our spirit. We struggle to resist the pressure from all aspects of life. 
We've got social media, peers, careers, materialism. It goes on and on. It's causing us to fall prey to the image machine. It's constantly running, updated. New images, new success, new needs. Calling us to it, this image machine that we get wrapped up in. Pastors can easily get caught up in it. Comparing ministries to ministries. Read a survey about pastors that get so focused on the success of other pastors and the churches and what they're doing and very pinpointed, kind of narrowed it down to pastors like 60 that were tall and bald-headed. It scared me. I thought they were talking about me for a second. But anyway, it, even pastors can fall prey to it. Pun aside, I'll be honest, I'm always transparent with you. I always preach to myself. You think, well, Brad and Todd, if I, could, if I could just get that walk like Brad and Todd, take that in the right light, don't take that as boasting, that my life would be better. <laughs> Stick around after church, I can tell you, life's not what it appears. It's not that easy. It's easy for me to look around and say, man, that pastor, look at the work he's doing there. Look at the results. His church is only a couple years further along, and he's got X amount of people, and, and they got these programs, and they've added on to their building. Where's the danger in that? That's devastating. Pray for me. If I ever got caught up in that mindset, and Brother Brad does a great job. That's why I have Brother Brad, what he does to keep me humble, keep me focused. Because you want to ruin the spirit of the church, especially the spirit that God's given us here for the gospel and souls and discipleship, the fastest thing to ruin that spirit is let my heart get caught up in trying to keep up with other pastors around me. But that goes for us individually, too, in our walk with God, our own ministry, and how God's trying to use us and wants to use us because, again, we're fearfully, wonderfully made. He has purpose. He has direction. He has will for us. When we start trying to walk in somebody else's footsteps, God just said, yeah, woo. And God just has to twiddle his thumbs because God said, I didn't call you to live in their ministry. I called you to your own ministry. King Saul fell into this similar trap of comparing his accomplishments to those of David. But what's interesting, you look at 1 Samuel 18, 5, we see that David did wisely, while Saul didn't. You look at 1 Samuel 13, 13. It says there, and David went out, the otherwise, and Saul sent him, and he behaved himself wisely. But if you go back to 1 Samuel 13, 13, when Samuel, or Saul was about to have, I think it was just maybe in his first military battle, I may have that wrong, but he's about to battle, and he was told to wait that God was going to send the prophet Samuel. And Saul waited, and he waited, and he waited until he saw the enemy. And his people said, we got to do something, General. We're, we're about to be, and, and Saul gave up on God. He looked at his circumstances. He stepped out of God's word, and he fulfilled the sacrifices for going to war. Samuel shows up and says, Saul, what did you do? Well, I knew you were coming, but we ran out of time, so I just did it. That right there is what cost Saul his throne. Samuel told Saul, oh, <laughs> you messed up. 
when you stepped out of God's word. One, you don't have the, the anointing to do that. You don't have the spiritual authority to do that. Not to mention that you gave up on God. How does this happen so easily? Well, we exist in a culture that's so obsessed with image and idolatrous processes. We want the perfect home, the precious Instagram, social media followers, designer outfits. All these type of mindsets just contribute to our culture. Yet, on their own, it's not pointing out that any of those are a sin on their own. God doesn't care about where you live or what you live in. Doesn't care what you wear as long as you wear it modestly. God doesn't care that you're on social media as long as you use it for good, not for gossip. These things in and of themselves aren't the problem. The problem is we make those things idols in our life. And we place them above God. Why? Because we look around and see what everybody else has and what they're doing, and we want to be like them. And we're like Saul. We step out of God's will for our lives because we're comparing our life to somebody else's life to get where we're trying to get. It's a cultural cancer is what it is. Being honest about one's actual life and God-given self is what it means to be, though, counterculture. Look what it says in 1 John 2, 15. Look at just the first part. Love what? Not the world. What do you think John's saying, love not the world? What, is, what, what does that? For us to fall in love with the world, what, what, is it, what does it require and garner from us? A distraction, our attention, our focus. I mean, you don't fall in love with spouses or loved ones if you don't pay attention to them. But when they start captivating you, and they smell good, they look good, all that good stuff, or you know what, they, they've captured your attention as a guy. And the more you focus on them, the more you want to be with them, the more you're with them, the, the more you start liking them, the more you start liking them, you fall in love with them. Then you live long enough, and you're old, and you've been married 50, 60 years, you almost start looking like them. My grandparents got like that. I thought, man, if that happens to Sam and I, God bless her. But anyway, but it does. But what happens, because it, it, it captivates you so much, and it draws so much of your attention and focus. That's why God says, don't fall in love with the world. You've got to live in it. Just don't be of it. Be counterculture. Don't get caught up in all this stuff that draws you in. And the only thing it's doing, everything from car commercial to clothes to vape, it doesn't matter. The underlying base, uh, base aspect of every advertisement is you deserve this because other people have it. Everybody's driving this new Dodge Ram truck. You need one. Everybody's going on this cruise. You should go on that cruise. It goes on and on and on that everybody else is doing it. You ought to do it too. You deserve it. It's the culture. God says, be not in love with the world. The more we focus on the world, the more one compares itself thus to it. Before we point to me fingers at Paul, let's go back to the nation of Israel. And maybe this probably applies more directly to us. Because this was Israel's downfall as a whole. Saul's only there not because Saul pleaded with God to be a king. If you read scripture, Saul did not want to be a king. Saul loved the Lord, 
He loved the Lord. He loved the Lord so much that when the scripture we're about to read, when God went to find a king, he found the very best man he could find. And Saul was the best man he could find. So Saul started off a good guy. But it wasn't Saul's fault per se. Look at 1 Samuel 8. I think it's verses 4 through 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah. And he said unto him, they're talking to Samuel the prophet, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a, to what? Judge us just like all the other nations. Now if you go back, God had appointed judges, righteous men and women that led Israel with the right heart. They weren't respecter of man. They guided it by the word of God. And God prospered them. They did well under the judges. Until they get to the point and they're like, hey, you know what? Look at all these other countries. Israel never got that big. Their power only came from God, which is the best power. But in and of themselves, they didn't have a powerful military. They didn't have a powerful economy. They didn't have a lot of possessions. So they started looking around at these other countries that had more than they had, besides God. They lost that perspective. They looked and saw what they had. They said, hey, Samuel, you're about to die. We're kind of through with these judges. Hey, just give us a king like everybody else, and we'll be fine. That was the worst decision Israel as a body of people ever made. Worst decision they ever made. That's how it happened so easily. The desire to have what the world other has was Israel's downfall. It took their circumstances out of God's hands and placed them in a man's hands. God, give us a king, and then we'll take over everything, and we'll let our king guide us and direct us. After God, all he had done for Israel. There's a huge problem that's still dangerous today. Even in America, we've told God to get lost and we'll elect our men and women to lead us. You don't have to have 20-20 vision to look around and see how that's working out for us. Why? Because man at best is just man. Well, when we had Reagan, it was great. Yeah, if you look at the history of Reagan, it wasn't perfect. Why? Because there's not a president that's ever sat in the White House that's been perfect. And America has taken its lumps under every man that's sat, every senator, every congressman, all the way down to local bodies of government. Corruption runs rampant. Man can't lead without God. Paul told young Timothy that in 2 Timothy 1.13. His disciple, God, uh, Paul, had led Timothy and, to Ephesus and set him up, and he was the pastor of Ephesus. Timothy was very, very young, probably in his early 20s, very young man. But here's Ephesus, a major population, a major hub. It was loaded with, with, with Pharisees and, and heathens. And, all. and so here's this young pastor in there, and Paul sets him up, and Paul tells him, don't despise your youth. The reason being, because Paul told Timothy, 
your age doesn't matter as long as you rely upon the one resource you need, God. You keep God in it. You search out God. You stay in prayer with God. You stay in fellowship with God. You do what's right. You stay righteous, and you have every resource you need to lead this country and make an impact for the kingdom of God. So, see, it doesn't matter what circumstance we're in. We can be in over our spiritual head. We can be over our fleshly head if we hold to the one resource we need and if we only compare our situation our circumstance to god's will it'll be perfect may not be the way you like it it may not be your timing but it will work out for your good into god's glory but as soon as we see our circumstances and our situations changing and we see we're over our head and we start panicking and unlike a child we start looking for answers on our own. We step out of God's will. We try to take the situation into our hands. That's what Israel did, putting Saul in charge. Then we're relying on our wisdom and our power. See, the problem is man's greedy, i.e., our cells are greedy. We're self-centered. It impedes on our biasness to serve purpose greater than ourselves. For God's good. See, God knew that whatever, whenever he put rule out of his hand into the hands of man, make us a king, he knew that it was going to fall. Just like it's fallen today. Brother Brad has a great statement in his reference work. It talks about our own government. And that's what befell America. Founded on godly principles, we put man in place that used scriptures to write the Constitution, to guide this government, and, and, and to lead it on a biased perspective. Until that day came and man realized that he could write checks to himself out of the treasury. And ever since then, our government now, today, just in known facts, is now $35.1 trillion in debt because of the great leadership of man, because we want a president, a leader like everybody else, instead of God. So back to picking on Saul. He forgot that it was God alone that put him on the throne, and it would be God who would remove him in his time tells in Ephesians 1.11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, God, who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, not our will. But Saul got so full of himself once he became king, and he saw what David was doing, only though it was the result that God had to raise up a new king because of Saul's sin, that we talked about sacrificing for the war, that when he saw David coming and then the people applauded David, Saul got jealous. He got jealous of what David had and who David was to what he had. Why couldn't Saul say, man, humbly, I was wrong. God had me where he wanted me at one time. God pulled me out of the depths of my sin, out of my uh, destination to hell. God allowed somebody to share the gospel with me. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got saved. And God began to work in my life. 
and to sanctify me, to set apart, and I grow in the will of God, and I'm doing the work of God, and, I, and God's working through me. There's results in God's will in my life, and we get to a point, for whatever reason, that something changes in our lives, and now all of a sudden God's not God. Why didn't Saul just say, God, I messed up? Why couldn't Saul just humble himself? Why couldn't Saul just come to himself and said, I went against your word. I did what you told me not to do. You're right. I'm wrong. And humble himself. If God said, well, you did, but I'm going to bring up David and put David in place. Why didn't Saul just say, okay, Lord. No, he got jealous. He got jealous that he wasn't going to have what he had one time. And God's going to change it on him. And so he took it out on Jonathan and took it out on David to the point of wanting to kill him. Because he, he compared his life to those around him. There's our mistake as Christians. We start wallowing in and feeling sorry for ourselves. And we look around us and, <clears throat> why is this happening to me? Why am I in this situation? And we never want to step back and be honest with ourselves. We never want to step back and look at our life as it's lined up to God's Word. Is my life in line with God's Word? Yes. Well, then keep on walking. And God will keep on being God in your life. And God will lead you and direct you. But when we come to that point in our life that we don't like our circumstance, we don't like our situation for whatever reason. Somebody inflicted it upon us, our own bad decision like Saul, it doesn't matter. We get to that point, we look at God's Word, and we say, my life does not line up with God's Word. There's the crux of the matter right there. Are we going to get jealous, bitter, angry, because our life's not like it is? Or are we going to be able to humble ourselves and understand, I may be a crow, but I'm the crow that God made. And I'm going to fly where God guides me to fly. And if we would patiently just be the crow and let God be God, then we'll start finding our worth. We'll start finding our beauty. And we'll start possessing the power of God back in our lives. But it takes humility. It takes humility to get our eyes off that that's going on around us and get our eyes back on the one that provides for us. much time here let's look at Jonathan we'll close here because we see great contrast in, in Jonathan of being Saul's son we talked about he was the heir to the throne and yet he was willing to give up the throne to David in 1 Samuel 18:3, it says then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe which was upon him and gave it to David and his garments even his sword and his bow and his girdle when you look at this relationship between Jonathan and David you can see three quick things one their relationship was centered on God not personal gain neither one was trying to get something from the other their relationship was a kindred spirit in the same Heavenly Father Two, their relationship was not impeded by careers or circumstances. Jonathan never got jealous 
when he saw God was going to give him the throne. Jonathan only bowed down and served David, even against his own father. Why? Ephesians 1.11, God's will. Jonathan said, I, I, I'm just here to be a part of God's will. But Jonathan, it's going to cost you the throne. God's will. Don't you want to be king? Who doesn't want to be king of God's people? I don't if God doesn't put me there. Three, the relationship grew closer when tested. When Saul started, or Jonathan started getting pressure from his dad, Jonathan just said, hey, David, I tried, but man, dad, dad's getting mad. He may kill both of us. I did what I could. No, their relationship and kindred spirit grew closer as it was tested. Like Jonathan, we need to reframe other people's success as an opportunity to celebrate what God is doing in their lives and quit comparing ourselves to what God's doing in their lives and not doing in ours. We see that in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. See, you can't rejoice with others when God's working in their lives when you're looking at what God's doing in their life and not doing in yours. Well, does God not love me? Where is God? If he's God, where is he? Why isn't he showing up in my life? He's showing up in their lives. He's working in their lives. God's doing this. I heard God answer that prayer. I go to Bible study. Everybody's saying, praise God. He answered this prayer. Where's God? That's a lack of humility. Instead, what we say, praise God when we hear God work in somebody else's life. Glory to God when God works in somebody else's circumstance. But we start comparing that why do they have God working in a way we don't? Maybe because God doesn't have our heart yet to work in the way he's working in their lives. Maybe we don't have the humility to step back and say, God, I'm wrong. I'm the one that changed course. I'm the one that changed path. I'm the one that stepped out of your favor and your blessing and stepped into the world and started trying to find my worth and my direction in the world and started questioning you that you were the fault why well, I'm not getting it. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Listen back to the opening statement. Comparison is a poisonous fruit of discontentment which admits that we are not satisfied with how God has made us. We're not happy where God has placed us and that we don't appreciate the life he's ordained for us. Comparing ourselves to others or the world is an insult to God. We don't want to be the crow. We don't want to get caught searching out our happiness, flying away from God's will in a direction we think is going to obtain it. So what's the lesson to learn when we look at Saul, David, and Jonathan in comparison ourselves? We'll look at 1 Timothy 6, 6 and three short points to walk away with. 1 Timothy 6, 6, it says, But godliness, which would be righteousness, doing that which is right in God's eyes, but godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. Notice the order. We know God's a God of order. 
1 Corinthians 14 tells us that. It illustrates that godliness has its purpose in goodness, does it not? Yeah, it says it right there. Godliness has its purpose in goodness, but when it's coupled with the spirit of what? Come on, contentment. So are we going to find the goodness and the purpose of God in our lives without contentment? No. If we can't be at peace where God has us, if we can't be at peace with being a black crow and don't have the, the, the vivid colors and all that we have, if we're not content with that, we're never going to find what God's going to be able to do with us as a crow. I want to be the dove, though. It's so much prettier. No, uh, it's not. Or the robin definitely is. It's a powerful bird. No, it's not. The great peacock begging for a change of their life. You keep on comparing yourself, you'll, you'll run in eventually the peacock. <laughs> I wish I was like you. You're like, me? Why would you want to be like me? Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Here are the three points and we'll be out of here. Paul speaking here. You're familiar with this passage. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And I know both how to have much and how to have little, abased and abound, everywhere. And in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what can we take from that? One, Paul said he was content with and without. He was content being a black crow. You're talking about somebody who's a black sheep of the disciples. <laughs> it was Paul. Remember, Paul came back from being with Jesus for three years. He runs into Peter and them, dealing with the, eating with the circumcised, uncircumcised. And they, anyway, if you look in the context, Paul was the one that just walks in and said, I'm here, I'm the new disciple. Peter, you're wrong. You're like, who are you? Paul was the black sheep of the disciples. And he didn't care. He was content with that. Why? Because he knew what God called him from. From being a killer of his children, imprisoning his children, to, to blinding him on the Damascus Road, to hear the gospel, to get saved. <clears throat> and the very first man that brought in martyrdom through Stephen, God was now using to change the Gentile people. If it's me being a black crow, so be it. I'll fly as long and as high as you'll send me, God. So Paul says, I'm content. I thought he was shipwrecked for a day and a night. Yep, he was content. I thought he was in prison and beaten three times. Like Jesus, yep, and he was content. Paul said, I've seen it all, I've been it all. And I know the only thing I want to do is be in the will of God for my life because I've had it both and I know the only one that works is when I put my life in God's hand and quit comparing my circumstances to those around me. So here's the three points that'll help us today. One, it takes contentment to overcome our comparison. If you can't find contentment, you will spend your Christian walk comparing your life to those around you. And you will fail. I will fail. One, contentment is a process. 
says there in verse 11 1 I have what learned I have learned Paul says I'm, I've learned I'm learning I'm continually to walk in this this process often involves pain ask Paul it involved a lot of pain yet it produces fruit Paul had learned that contentment through some pretty painful experiences and cross in contrast that with Jesus' words, and he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And you got the extremes of both ends. The process involves you walking through these only to realize that you're not in control of your life. You try to control your life like Israel did, wanting a king, like Saul fell trapped to. If we do the same thing, we're never going to learn. It's an entrapment. Two Contentment takes time. Patience. Second part of verse 11 says, Whatsoever state I'm in. There may be a time that you're abounding in the work of God. There may be times you think, God, are you through with me? Where are you? No, just stay in your spiritual walk. Keep on walking. God knows where you're at. And God will come and get you in his perfect timing. Every time I walk through a new or previously unknown season, I got a chance to walk through becoming more content in what God has for me. We'll spend hours on our knees praying for something not to happen in our lives. And a lot of times we're praying ourselves out of an opportunity to grow in our contentment in Christ. Thinking if we have to go through this storm, I'll never come out of this one. God says, yeah, you will but you're going to come out to a better eternal weight of glory than you had going in. And number three, contentment takes trust. Verse 13, Paul says, when I see things through Christ's eyes, when I put everything in God's hands, then I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ultimately, contentedness that's such a word it is now contentedness involves trusting trusting that god will make our path straight that his plan is better than ours and our walking in his path is better than our own you can't delight in someone you do not trust in you cannot find contentment in someone you do not have faith in and you cannot find hope and somebody you don't depend upon. So what are you looking for? When you get caught up in comparison, what are you looking for? I mean, I know times I get caught into it. I know what causes me to get there. What you got to ask yourself this morning, what am I looking for? What's making me take my eyes off God, off his word, and look around me and see what's going on? What are we looking for? Consider the thief on the cross. Somebody sent this to me. This is worth reading. Talking about finding contentment. He found it in his last breath. Consider the thief on the cross. No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no mission statement or trip, no volunteerism, no ministry, so to speak. No financial gifts, no clothes even on his back. 
He couldn't even bend his knees to pray. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or smite his scoffers. Yet it was a thief who walked into paradise the same hour that Jesus did, simply by believing and finding his contentment at the end in Christ. He had nothing more to offer other than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. No spin from, from brilliant theologians, no ego of arrogance, no shiny lights, no skinny jeans, no loud music, no praise concerts, no crafty words, no haze machine donuts or coffee and donuts in the lobby. That might be a little extreme. Just a naked man on a cross, unable to even fold his hands and pray, was able to look at the Savior and find his contentment. And he got to walk into the kingdom of God. Comparing yourselves to others ignores the gifts and the works of God's place in you. If you feel you must compare yourself, I'd encourage you to compare yourself to the Christian you were yesterday and see if you made some strides today in comparison. That'd be some good comparison. Find your contentment in Jesus and comparing will no longer be a compromise to your faith or your walk. Starts with contentment and we'll be able to overcome comparison. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this morning come before you in your presence and to father just to seek to seek you to be i hate to say the word presence we talked about that in sunday school though there's nothing wrong with your presence it's powerful in some ways we see it taking place in a great way across america and these things being labeled as revivals but as brother brad clearly put this morning i've shared myself with many others that we don't need to get so caught up in your presence, but just hold on to your promises. Because that's where the power is. The power is in your word. And Father, when we start comparing ourselves to things outside of your word, we're diminishing your power within us. We're negating what you created, what your purpose and perfect will is in our lives. When we learn to humble ourselves, get back in, in your will, get back in your word, acknowledge where we've been off track and fly the course considering the crow that you have for us then we'll see your power reactivated in our lives it takes patience we have to learn in the process we have to endure the pain but we have your promise that we'll endure for your glory and for our good you tell us that there's an there's a, a, an external greater weight of glory waiting for us. Father, help us to keep our eyes off this world, those around us, and get them centered on you. As the music plays, as the Lord leads you. Folks up here would be happy to pray with you.
online today watching us or humbled to have you. If you have any questions about today's service, you can reach us uh, online. You can reach out to me directly at Todd at cfchurchtx.com. We'd love to be a blessing to pray with you as well. But as the Lord leads you, respond to the Spirit. If you're here today, the greatest promise we need to know is in the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Everything we're talking about today is only empowered through the gospel. If you've never heard, had the opportunity to hear the saving grace of Jesus Christ, how you can know that you know that you know. If you die, you go to heaven. I pray that you don't leave here today without allowing somebody can take you to a side room, man or woman, take you to a side room and share with you how you can know for sure die today you go to heaven don't miss that opportunity that's the greatest promise we have find the answers looking around. You'll only find the answers looking around. All clouds pass sooner or later. Just keep looking up. The one thing that struck me, Brother Todd, is why didn't King Saul just like this? Why, why didn't he just say, you know what, my bad. Boy, it's so hard for us to say my bad. But that's what we need to say. My bad, I'm not in my race, I need to be in my right. I'm not the Christian I was yesterday, and I need to be the Christian that I need to be. Take a knee at the altar and say, Lord, help. What's so hard about that? What's well, really hard? Just look at Saul. Look at us Christians. Let's not be like that. Let's be the Jonathan of Let's stay humble. Father, thank you for our time here this morning. Thank you for the somber, somber message. Good message. Good message. Lord, one for all of us. We don't need to look around, look around. We just need to always look up and thank you for what you created. You created us a black crow, so be it. May we fly high for you and not look around, but just be busy about the things of the Lord. In Christ's name. Amen.